Well, good evening. It's uh, good to see everybody out again uh, tonight. Uh, It's great and encouraging to see the interest in God's plan of salvation. It's uh, uh, something that we should all be interested in, uh, everybody in the whole world. Because without that plan, we would be lost. And so it is uh, good that we understand God's simple, straightforward plan Uh, Just like everything that we have studied about God, like we're studying in Christmas class in the book of Jeremiah, it's just very clear, it's just spelled out what God promises and what uh, he's going to do if they don't straighten up and so forth. And so we uh, are going to continue that study this this tonight, and and we've looked at the uh, first two sections of sections of four. And uh, the first section was the idea of uh, the Bible is the only source of authority. That without the Bible, that's what everybody has to come to study if we want to know the plan of salvation. And it's easy to understand. The second section is that we've studied is that uh, the fellowship, restoring our fellowship with God and with his people. And we have a little bit more to do with his people of how important it is to do. But we're going to do a little review in, uh, in the, the beginning of that section, uh, Fellowship with God's People. And we, we looked at that God wants us to be in fellowship with other Christians. He wants us to be together, as Ephesians chapter 4 uh, uh, play, uh, says, that uh, we uh, are to uh, be responsible that we're all responsible to grow, to help the church to grow. And uh, uh, Paul's uh, example that he attached himself to a group of people, and uh, that's what we are to do as we follow his example. And God doesn't want us to be in fellowship with error. We looked at a passage in 2 Corinthians 6, uh, what fellowship really is, and uh, it, you can't really have uh, much uh, agreement and harmony with those who are unbelievers. But the harmony and agreement, uh, all the things, the righteousness, the fellowship, comes as a result of being together. And the Bible is the standard for fellowship among God's people. And he gave us some warnings uh, in there, and we looked at that. The Holy Spirit foretold uh, the departure from authority, and uh, it is uh, the falling away. And uh, we looked at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, talking about the falling away. It's going to come through men. They're going to be speaking lies. And there's two characteristics that's going to mark this falling away. And that is forbidding marriage and uh, and forbidding certain meats and foods. And we looked at a couple uh, quotations from uh, the Roman Catholic Church, who really, that's who we're talking about. Those are the two. There may be other people that have had those two characteristics. But the religiously speaking, they are the first ones that, uh, that had it and, it, and it grew. And they just got further and further away from, uh, from God's word as, as they went. Uh, the, this departure from authority, uh, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus made a promise. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that is then in 33 AD, Jesus established his church. Uh, purchased uh, the church with his blood. He returned to the right hand of God. The apostles then brought forth the message, and the church was, uh, the church was established in Jerusalem. And that, that is the true church, established in 33 AD. It's authentic. It's the original. 
And it continues on even today because of the promise that Jesus made uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. So in 33 AD. So what happened? Well, in 52 AD, we see that uh, the authority from the scriptures uh, uh, came as uh, about of people would not put up with sound doctrine. And uh, that the mystery of lawlessness was already at work according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. And so it didn't stop there. It just got further and further away. 251, there was a perversion of sprinkling of baptism. Uh, you could call it a clinical baptism. And that's where somebody was too sick. They couldn't go over and baptize them. So they made an exception and pretty soon that became the normal. And so that uh, uh, perversion of baptism in 251. Then in 606, then the first Pope Boniface III uh, then became the first universal Pope uh, over the whole Catholic Church, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, I should say. And, uh, and then things just multiplied from there. There became more and more denominations, what we would call denominations. And Martin Luther in uh, 1530, and then you can King Henry VIII, the Presbyterian Church, and then you had Knox and Zwingli, uh, with, uh, no, the Church of England, the Henry, and then Knox and Zin, uh, Zwing, Zwingli is uh, the Presbyterian Church. Smith, the Baptist Church. Wesley then uh, founded the Methodist Church. And so uh, here we read some of those uh, quotations of, uh, of the Catholics and the Protestant and the Methodists. And uh, then they, we looked at this uh, as when... Uh, that confusion is brought about when people don't follow loads, uh, laws and codes and procedures and weights and measurements. It creates confusion and death rather than unity. And what we are proposing then, the Bible creates unity. The Bible is a book that promotes unity and not confusion. So there is uh, one mind, one faith, and, uh, and then this is where we left off last night. Uh, as a Bible believer, and we read these in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, verses 4 through 6, and what we have is that there is one God the Father. The unity of worship is seen there. Uh, God demands this unity. Uh, it shows in uh, the first three verses of Ephesians uh, uh, 4. And uh, at this time, I'd like to read those verses, uh, and we've already read 4 through 6. But in verse 1 of Ephesians 4, it says, Therefore I am the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility. So before he talks about the ones, we've got to have humility. There, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing forbearance uh, and tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. So here the... the the idea of humility then it promotes then unity. And so the unity, that's not going to happen. If the humility and the, the striving for unity uh, and, uh, is not, it's not there. So with the one body, let's, uh, I'm not going to have them in the order. I kind of have them in the order of starting with God the Father. Now that right there should tell you a lot. One God. God the Father. Now, you wouldn't think that there would be five of other things, uh, five lords. There's one Lord. If there's one Father and everything has come from Him, there's one Lord. That's Jesus Christ. There, uh, that's the unity of authority. Uh, the one Spirit. 
that uh, the unity of revelation that it guided the apostles into uh, all the truth. And uh, it guides us. It's a revel- uh, We read it as the revelation that was given to the apostles to, uh, to us. It gives us life. We have eternal life. To, uh, and, and the Spirit uh, uh, does that. And then uh, the, there's one hope. Desire and expectation. There's not two hopes or three hopes or four hopes. That creates confusion. All of those things create confusion. There's one baptism, the unity of practice. And uh, we'll see, and we've talked about already, that it's a burial and it's in water. And, and uh, it is uh, uh, mimicking the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's talking about being baptized in water. There's five different baptisms in the Bible, but not all of those were for everybody. Only one is for all people, and that uh, is this. Uh, And uh, so there's five different ways that baptism, or that word was used. Uh, And then uh, faith, unity of belief. And uh, so uh, we don't uh, go around asking, well, well, what faith are you? I mean, that's what people do today, but back then, there was only one faith. You didn't have to ask what faith uh, you, you were of. And so, uh, religiously speaking, there's one. So, uh, there's one uh, unity of organization is the body. Uh, we'll be looking a little bit more of that uh, uh, tonight. Well, as we uh, see about these, uh, these uh, one things, there's a couple more points uh, I'd like to make on that. Uh, and I guess there isn't. That's all I needed to make on that. So uh, there's there's not more. All this is confusion. So this is just confusion over here. There's just one. It's not hard to understand. Unity of all of those things. Okay, so now then the question is asked, if you could know for sure, I mean if you could really know for sure, because Jesus said the gates of hell were not prevailed against his church. We know it still exists. And if it were possible for you, I mean possible for you, not somebody else for you to find the New Testament church without any doubt, no doubt whatsoever, not depending on me or anyone else. If you could know for sure, wouldn't you want to be part of that church if you knew for sure? And many of us have known, we know for sure. We're part of that church. And you and anybody that has not been part of that church can know for sure. And it's very simple to understand. And so uh, we need an infallible, the surefire description of the New Testament church. Where do we find it? So there's a, there's a commitment that we all need to make. Well, there's only one place to find it. That's in the Word of God, the Bible. The source of all authority. The only authority that we can go to. The only place that we could go. The only where we could listen to what it says rather than what other people say uh, is uh, uh, a way to be saved, which is different than what the Bible teaches. So the Bible is something that why God is not going to let anyone destroy that Bible, that Word. So that we will have it for all time and even today, 2,000 years later, we could be a part of that one church that was established in 33 AD. And uh, like all, a lot of those other churches were established hundreds of years way after the, the uh, church uh, was established in 33 AD. So 
right there is enough to know that it's not the church that was there. If it was doing the same thing, it would be the same church. It wouldn't be a different church. There wouldn't be no such thing as a denomination. If that was the very act, the word denomination means a break away from. A break away from what? The original. And so they, it's, and like we said, there's so many churches today. So before we go in and look at that surefire way to identify the church, uh, what is our attitude toward truth? We're not going to look at all of these. I do want to look at the one in James 1.21. Uh, that would take the least amount of time, but uh, you, you must not be offended by the truth. And there's patches for that. Uh, a fool is offended by truth. A good attitude is hard to keep. Accepting the truth requires knowledge of the truth. So you can't really accept the truth if you don't know the truth. So you've got to have the knowledge in order to accept the truth. And uh, that's, that's where faith is all about. The faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But in James chapter 1 and verse 21 is this a, a simple verse that uh, gives us a, uh, a thing to look at and to check our attitude as we look in uh, James chapter 1 and verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, right there. There's where people will not be able to find the word of God. They will not be able to understand the word of God until they put away that wickedness and put away those things that are in their way. At least willing to put them away. But as long as they continue in that way, they will not be able to, to do it. In, uh, in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your soul. So uh, difficult to receive. The very fact that he says to receive it shows that it's not an easy thing to do. So of course it takes the humility and uh, it's the implanted word, so it's not born in us. It's not something that's in us. It's not something that we have an advantage over the next person. We get it all the same way. It's implanted in us. The seed or the word of God goes into our heart, and then uh, it, that's, that's how it gets there. It's not, we're not born with it. Uh, and it's able to save our souls. So um, as we uh, continue in... The next section that we're going to really get into that section four, and we have tonight, tomorrow night, to uh, to cover it. So, uh, what we need to be in a local church, how do we find a church with whom we can work? Well, look at the identity. It has a unique identity in 33 A.D., uh, and it has a verification. Uh, the the church today, we can look at the church today. And look at the church we read about in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, and there's other books as well. But we see uh, the identity there. Uh, what, what we, as we look at the search the New Testament then, we see the name, the organization, the work, the worship, the membership in 33 AD. And you find a church that has the same thing. If, when you do that, if it's the same, then you're, you found the, the New Testament church. And um, so... Uh, let's take for an example, uh, uh, there were found uh, uh, in China uh, 1,300-year-old uh, uh, seeds of a uh, uh, lotus tree. Okay, so they had 13, and then in the, uh, the University of California planted them. Guess what came up? Lotus trees. Not watermelons, not anything else. So what you plant 
what that seed is, what's going to come up is going to be the same thing. So if you plant the word of God, what's going to come up? The word of God. If you plant the Bible, what's going to come up? You're going to have the church come up. That's, that's what comes from the seed. And so we'll see that uh, a little bit. So there's a unique identity that we are to find. Uh, so can you take, take the, uh, the Bible? Let's go to the next slide. Denominational churches are creed-bound. They're under human authority. Luke 8, 11 tells us that the seed is the word of God. Now, can you take the Lutheran catechism book and then be, have, be, have a Christian uh, find a New Testament church? No, you cannot do it. You're going to come up with the Lutheran catechism. You'll come up with the Lutheran church. That's going to produce that. You can't take the Bible seed uh, and, and, and uh, 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 or can you take the Bible seed and produce a Lutheran? No, you produce a Christian. And uh, so uh, you, you won't grow anything uh, if it's not the seed of the Word of God. And all you'll grow is denominational churches. Uh, and so the Bible plus the Lutheran catechism equals a Lutheran. But you can't be, find a Baptist. You won't become a Baptist by reading the Lutheran catechism book. So here is the simple idea of the, what's planted is what will come up. And uh, where in the Bible does it say to be part of a denomination? There's nowhere in the Bible that tells us. In fact, everything in the Bible tells us to be one and not be part of the denomination. Don't, don't have divisions among you. So this idea of a denomination and joining the church of your choice is where did it come from? It didn't come from the Bible. It came from the human mind. It came from the human wisdom. And, uh, and, they, uh, and they got their creed books and wrote in books what separated them from other denominations. And so that's, and we're all probably, we're part of these. I was part of one of those as well. And, and I, I can, you know, had to search and, and look and say, well, is that, is that it? I begin to question it, right? And that's good. And uh, so, uh, so uh, all the denominations originate hundreds of years after the New Testament church. The one we read about in the Bible. But the, if you, the Christian only is only produced by the word of God. There is a way that is right. We're going to go to the Old Testament and look at the example of Josiah. And uh, uh, I think a lot of you probably have studied this. But man, it is a great uh, study for us uh, to, in the situation that we're in. And well, the... We have a, a similar situation is that when the New Testament church came out and then it came up all these other churches and then there was what you call a restoration movement trying to get back to the Bible getting out of denominations. A lot of people came out of those denominations that I had and other denominations because they went back to the Bible. And that's how they, they founded the church. Well, this is kind of like what was happening in Josiah's day. There was a restoration because they got away from what was pleasing to God. Uh, we're not going to be able to read all of these uh, verses, but we find this in 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 10, through chapter 23 in verse uh, uh, 10, uh, 25. And um, I just want to point out there was only one system of worship. You could read that in verses 10 through 12, talking about the prophets. Um, 
next in, the, their fathers had corrupted the one true system of worship that they had. Uh, Josiah had a zeal for righteousness. I do want to read that in chapter 22 and 1 through 3. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Pretty young. Eight years old. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adidah, of Boskath. He, he did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father David, uh, uh, nor did he turn aside to the right or the left. Now, in the 18th year of Josiah, the king of Shephan, the king, uh, son of uh, Azaliah, and the son of Meshulam, and the scribe of the house of the Lord, saying. And so, then what he wanted to do, he got the workmen that were honest, and co-workers to kind of restore things. Uh, they, they found the book of the law, uh, verses 8 through 20. When you're studying with somebody, you can kind of go through this a little bit more than what we're able to do uh, in, the, in this setting that we have right now. Um, and then they, they, and when you read those verses, you see that they read, they heard, they repented, they inquired of God, they made a commitment. And um, see if I find that commitment one. Verse... Uh, uh, 1 of 23 then the king sent they gathered to him all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem the king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people both small and great and he read in the hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which were found in uh, the house of the Lord and the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord to keep his uh, commandments and his testimony and statutes with all his heart and soul to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people uh, entered into the covenant. And so he, uh, they, they, they made a commitment and they tore down all the innovations and all the things that they had uh, in the, uh, all you just read it, it's just a bunch of altars and uh, houses and the priests and uh, all, all the different things that they did. Uh, and what we do want to read, though, is that they restored the true worship. And notice in, when they started restoring the true worship, got all the things that were idolatry and I, you know, all those things out of the way, and they restored that uh, worship. In verse 21 of chapter 23, it says, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. Surely such a Passover had not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. You know, that's 400 years. 400 years have gone by and the Passover was not even being kept. They read this in the book of the law. The book of the law was thrown off in the corner, had dust on it, cobweb, whatever, and nobody ever read it. And they found it. They read it, and then they see that they got to get back to it. And so they tore down all the innovations and innovators. They restored the true worship of God. There's, there's more. In uh, verse uh, 24, Moreover, Josiah removed the mediums and the spirituals and the teraphim and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might confirm the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. 
in verse 25, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, with, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. And that's uh, a lot to be said of a young man who was uh, now uh, 26 years old when they found the book of the law. He served a few more years, 13 more years, and he died at the age of 30, 39. And then, of course, they got rid of all the things that he restored and went back to the other. And that's part of Jeremiah's uh, story that when he started out and uh, Josiah was in the 13th year, he was fairly, uh, fairly, they were fairly good, and then they got worse and worse and worse, and then when he died, that was pretty well they went back. So are we wrong if we do the same thing? If we find that we're doing things that are wrong and, and worshiping, we're part of a denomination, we're doing this and doing this, and we get the book of the law, we read the, the book and find out, hey, we're not supposed to be doing that, we're supposed to be doing this. This is all that the book says. Well, we're not wrong if we do the same. Now, if you're not wrong, and if Josiah did what was right, then it couldn't be wrong, could it? So there is a way that you can be right and not be wrong. You cannot be wrong if you're right. And that's the only way you can know that is through the study of the Word of God. And if you're, if you the Word of God, we can understand it, and we know that it's the right thing to do, regardless of what other people think or whatever they do, we, we know that it's the right thing to do. Okay, so we need to be in a local church. Uh, shall we look for the identity of that church that's unique and all these uh, uh, um, uh, characteristics that they have in, in their name and organization? Um, and we can do that. It's possible to do that. Let's uh, look in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. It says, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They were more noble-minded. They were not like a lot of people. Okay, I heard that. Okay, I don't believe that. That's it. No, they searched the scriptures to see whether those things were so. And uh, our our soul uh, depends on it when we understand that. First uh, Corinthians chapter four and verse seventeen. Now here's the verification in the church. It says that Paul taught the same in every church. Every church he taught the same thing. And so they were all practicing the same thing. Their unit, their, their names, their, wor- their worship, their organization, uh, the, how they became a Christian. Uh, Paul taught the same thing in every church. And this is what, uh, what, we, uh, what we see. So let's begin looking at the name first. Uh, in the first century AD, a local church was referred to as the church. In Acts chapter 11, in verse 26, it says, And when they had found him, they brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year they met with the church, it's called the church, and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So the people... The members were called Christians, but the church itself was called the church in this case. Okay, so why was it called the church? Well, there's only one. Just like we call the moon. The moon. There's only one. We give names to planets because there's more than one. 
So they have all these names for all these denominations. Why? Because it's more than one. There's only one that can be called church. If they believe the same thing, just a church. Or uh, in Romans chapter 16 and verse 16, uh, we see that the churches of Christ salute you. So here are local churches they're talking about. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Okay, so there's the, a, a lot of churches together. Not that they, but yet a single church in a locality would be called what? A church of Christ. In the church of Christ. And so uh, that's uh, certainly a Bible name. It gives honor to Christ who is the head. And uh, of course that is what we use today. We think that's the, uh, the name that really fits who we follow. We follow Christ. All about him. So it's a church belonging to Christ. We belong to Christ. Uh, or you can, but you're not bound by that. Uh, or you can be called the church of God as what's found in Rome, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. Okay, so that's all we need to read. Call the church of God there. Because the church belongs to God. Church belongs to God. Belongs to Christ. The church is, is uh, that group of people that are called out of the world and put into, uh, into Christ. And so uh, we, we see that. So, um, you know, it's just like if somebody, if we're looking for the identity, if somebody robbed a convenience store and, uh, and then the police are coming out and they're saying, did anybody see the one that robbed the store? And somebody said, yeah. I, uh, I, I uh, uh, saw him, and uh, he was, uh, you know, he was uh, tall. He was a white man. He, he, his name was, uh, was Jack. His friend called him Jack. And he was, looked like about 22 years old. Somebody else comes up and says, well, uh, yeah, he's uh, eight foot tall, and he had a bald head. Now you're eliminating some. Now you're going to the town of millions of people. You can be L.A., you go in the L.A., and they can go and get a unique description that fits that one person, and they come out with their man. They come out with the guy that committed the crime. Now, if they can do that, why can't we do that in finding the New Testament church? There's a unique identity, and the name is, is uh, one of those. And so uh, another one said, well, he's got a five-inch uh, scar on his left cheek, that eliminates a whole bunch more. So you pretty soon you get down to one person. There's only one person that has, I mean, eight foot tall, with a scar on his right cheek, your left cheek, or, you know, five inches long, bald-headed, 22 years old. There's a lot of 22 years old, but not with scars and eight foot tall and bald head. I mean, you know, I mean, 22-year-old, there's a few, but there's, there's, so you have unique identity. So now if a man is, only finds part of the identity, that's not the man. If he just says, oh, there's a guy, he's eight foot tall, and we're going to arrest him. No, that's not the man. You see, I really believe that I, I'm, as I'm thinking about this, this is why they can't uh, keep anybody in jail anymore. Because you have to give an identity. You have to say whether he's a girl or whether he's a man. Uh, you have to say whether, what race he is, you know, what color skin you have. Well, you can't do that. I mean, we're, we're all the same. So you know, when you get down to that, all the identity marks, uh, eight foot tall, well, no, that, that means you're, 
you're uh, uh, profiling somebody eight foot tall. No, that means we're looking for an identity. And so, I, I don't know. It just seems like uh, maybe that's where that's coming from. But maybe you can check on that. Anyway, let's keep going. Uh, here's Luther. Martin Luther. Here's what he said. Martin Luther insisted on wearing only the name Christian. Martin Luther said that. He said, I pray you leave my name alone and call not yourself Lutherans, but Christians. Who is Luther? My doctrine is not mine. I have not been crucified for anyone. Um, uh, St. Paul, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.13, you know, Paul uh, was, uh, he's quoting Paul there. Would not that any should call themselves for Paul nor Peter, uh, but Christ. And he then who does it benefit me a miserable bag of dust and ashes to give my name to the children of Christ. Cease, my dear friends, to cling to these party names, distinctions. What do they do? They call confusion. They cause confusion, not unity. Uh, And with them all, away with them all. And let us call ourselves only Christians after him from whom our doctrine comes. And then he, he gets this from the passage that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10 through 13. And let's read that. It says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Uh, And uh, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of of Paul. You know, to Jesus, to God, names are important. Party names are important. We don't want to be called by party names. But now he said it's okay to call us up to Christ. But God has always been um, uh, partial to names. He, he, he changed Abram's name to Abraham. He changed uh, uh, Sarah's name to Sarah. He had a specific purpose. And so they, they were uh, the, change, the identity and changing names. So uh, anybody that says there's nothing in a name, uh, Paul's reproof shows that yeah, you call yourself the wrong name, and that's not pleasing to God. Call yourselves after Paul. And here are people calling themselves after Luther and after names of these leaders that started these churches. And Luther was one that didn't want to have that. They, they did that anyway after he died. So they respected him as far as when he was alive. But after he died, then they took on the name uh, Luther. Well, um, uh, the work of the local church. Uh, it's called the pillar and the ground of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. And there are uh, three things that the work of the the church is. It's preaching the word, edifying, uh, building up the Christians, uh, and benevolence, helping needy saints. And so we'll look at some passages there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. A tremendous example that these young Thessalonians who have not been converted very long, uh, when you see uh, what they were doing, 
Uh, they not only put away their idols, but they were proclaiming the word, and the word went out to all kinds of people that heard about it. Let's just read that. It says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith uh, toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. So here, preaching the word, that's the work of the church. Because the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. It supports the truth. And so, uh, uh, preaching the word, edifying the saints. We read this uh, before in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at the responsibility of every member that uh, we are to grow. And... um, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 12, 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. For what? What did he give them for, the gifts? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. So they were to be taught. They were to then learn what their abilities were and promote their abilities. And... uh, and, and, and all the good works that they find and, and read about in the Bible, then this is what they were equipping themselves for, the work of service. And that's how the church is built up uh, uh, of itself. Uh, and that's, uh, I'm not going to read the other verses. Uh, it's talking about the whole body being fitted together, held together. So we all need to be te- taught and edified and strengthened. And as a result, then we... Uh, do the work that God gives us all to do as a group of people, uh, the body of Christ. Uh, Benevolence, helping needy saints. All these cases then uh, are helping uh, uh, Christians uh, who are uh, needy in uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agabus, and uh, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there were certain, uh, certainly be great, there be a great famine over all the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, that each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren, those are Christians, those are saints, the brethren, living in Judea. And this they did, sending in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the, the elders. And of course, uh, Judea, there were several churches in Judea. There's Joppa, there's Lydia, there's Sharon, uh, perhaps others. Uh, and so they sent it to the elders of each of those churches, uh, the leaders there. And uh, so they didn't send it to a localized leadership, elders, uh, just in Jerusalem. There were other churches. First uh, Corinthians 16, 1. It says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do I you. So you had the needy uh, saints, people that were members of the church that needed some physical help, financial assistance, whatever it is, until they get back on their feet so they can go back and do the work that God wants them to do in the body of Christ. And so uh, there's not where they're helping the world. That's not the work of the church. It's to feed the world, to have a soup line for everybody to come in and, and we uh, uh, supply the funds to do, to do that. That's not 
what he wants us to do. Uh, there are other passages, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 8, yeah, and uh, verse 3, For I testify that according to their ability, um, beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor, participation, and support of the saints. We see some more of that in uh, chapter 9 and verse 12, Romans 15 and verse 26. We see there is a collection for the needy saints uh, there. And uh, that was, I believe, going to be in Jerusalem. And uh, so the work of the church is not politics. It's not social reform. It's not recreational. It's not supporting human institutions. It is preaching the word, edifying the saints, and doing benevolent work. And that's, that's, uh, that's it. So uh, the last chart we want to look at the, tonight is the organization of a local church. And uh, Philippians 1.1 talks about uh, the organization is uh, saints, elders, and uh, deacons. And so in the Bible we find that these words are used interchangeably and they all refer to the same office. Elders are uh, presbyters, that's the Greek term bishop, sometimes they're called that. For overseers, uh, shepherds, uh, shepherds is the word poimen, we'll talk about uh, that. Pastors, uh, they took the word poimen one time in Ephesians 4.11 and, and translated as pastors. But in 17 other places, it's translated uh, 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 shepherd. Uh, we have that down there when we look at uh, uh, pastors. So they are the same office. They're unlike the church of the men. Let's notice Acts chapter 20. Um, in verse uh, 28. And of course back in verse 17. They called the elders of the church. But then the same people. The same group of people are called. Uh, in verse 28. Overseers. And they were to what? To shepherd the flock. That's the word poimen. In, uh, in Acts 28. So 17 times that word poimen is translated shepherd except for that one time in Ephesians 4.11. So uh, uh, that uh, was uh, kind of a mistake to do that. Uh, so a lot of times people call themselves pastors and they're the leaders of the church. But pastors are elders and not uh, in, the, in the Bible term. Uh, the qualifications of elders are found in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Titus 1.5. Uh, we see that they had a plurality of elders in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. And also in those qualifications, they talk about elders, uh, plurality, especially the one in Titus. But in Acts chapter 14 and verse 23... It says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting. So every church had elders. So you turn on the lights in every city. So you turn on the plurality of lights in every city. And uh, so there's a plurality of elders. First Peter 5, uh, verses 1 through 3, Peter was an elder. He called himself a fellow elder, uh, which uh, to uh, uh, shepherd the flock among you. So it's the one, the local congregation, uh, it is the plurality of elders there. And uh, the word pastor deacons uh, is a special qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. And we, you can look down through verse 12, and there are some qualifications that they have. They're not the same as the elders' qualification, but they are special servants for the elders. And 
course, we read already in, uh, in Philippians and also in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, that the saints are mentioned there as well. So, elders, deacons, and saints, that's what makes up the church. And so, saints are the called out ones, the holy ones, and that's what we are to do. So, as you look at the organization of the church, here's God's organization of the local church. He said, okay, you have the, the three, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the head of the church, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. And, of course, the, um, the Bible is what is used to guide the local elders, elders in every church. Each local church had a plurality of elders, and they list, guided by the word of God, and they were taken then their orders from the headquarters, Jesus Christ, who is the head. So uh, that's a flowchart, a scriptural authority. Now here's the organization that's not of God. This is what you find out here in the denominational world. They have uh, what you call the, uh, the, at the top, they have a, a president or so forth. And underneath that, they have the central headquarters. And then you have the dioceses, synods, conferences. And then those going to the priests, the pastors, the preachers who guide the flock. They don't have the qualifications of elders. And then they are over the, the local flock. So you have the preacher or their so-called pastor uh, then guiding the flock. So I, I don't know, I, I think I've been approached so many times, oh, you're the pastor of the church, oh, you're your church. I mean, no, not that. And, uh, and no, I'm not qualified to be uh, a pastor, or at least I'm not one at the uh, present time. So... And that's uh, the way it goes. And so and now we see them side by side. Here's the local army uh, and the uh, uh, local uh, of God's organization all the way down to the local church. And then here is this organization not of God. You see there's quite a big difference. You know, so you, you can't get there without adding and changing to the scriptures. Where is any of that in the scriptures? Where is any of that? It's not there. It's in the figment of an imagination. It came from man's way of thinking. and They, they do this like they do uh, uh, some other organization out here where they do have that. That is okay for that. But they're not running. we're not running the business here. We're not running. Uh, we're a local church just taking care of their own, taking care of their, what their needs are, have the contribution and what they need to do, and that's it. So where is the scripture for this man-made all these things over here. Boy, you just add and add and add, and there's probably more that's added onto this. So that's where we'll uh, stop uh, tonight. And, uh, and uh, we'll offer the invitation at this time, and I just want to look at uh, Acts chapter uh, 22 and verse 16. Apostle Paul, he saw Jesus on the way. He was told to go back uh, and to uh, wait for, uh, to be told what he must do. And then uh, Ananias told him what to do in uh, chapter 22 and verse uh, 16. He says, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And so that's how we come into Christ. We are baptized into Christ, and we wash away our sins when we are baptized.
So we have one more night, and we'll talk a little, quite a bit more about baptism and about the the uh, um, worship of the church. And uh, so I'll invite you all back for, for that as well. And so we offer the invitation, if you need to make your life right with God in any way, we uh, offer you to come forward, make those desires known as we stand and sing this song and expect it. <laughs>